At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Up where I live, we have a massive amount of windmills just north of my town, a little bit west, and they're sitting in open farmer's fields. Now, it's utilizing the free power of wind. Mother Nature generates the wind. We just have to find a way to harness it. Now, I'm sure they started with a couple, one, two, three, 10, 20, and they kept building on the infrastructure because obviously they found that it was beneficial, right? So that is a good segue to today's podcast topic. I'm going to be speaking to the CEO of Solex Energy. His name is Mark Crabtree. Okay, they have developed a technology using solar power, another gem from Mother Nature, which is totally free to us. They found a way to harness it to make HVAC units more efficient, like modulating or single circuit staged HVAC units. They have found a way to harness this power to save on energy, energy consumption. It's a great podcast topic. Um, I learned a lot, so pay attention to Mark. He's an expert on the subject. And this is going to be the future, guys. The future's coming, and I've always said it. You stay on top of what the future is, you'll never get stale in this industry. So it's a good topic to listen to. Stick around to the end, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. You guys know I love talking about my tools. And I like to show you guys the new tools that are coming out and the products that are coming out so you guys can stay on top of your game and be informed as to what's out there. And I love talking about my sponsors because they help me out. So this segment's all about talking about their tools. All right, and I try to tell you about the different tools they have, not the same ones week after week after week. So I did talk about the Testo 510. It's a digital dual port manometer, but I didn't talk about the 510i, which is still a digital dual port manometer, but it's a smart probe. Use it with the Smart Probes app. So use your mobile device, download the Smart Probes app, which is free. Okay, you connect up the 510i and you can take your your readings, your pressure readings with it, and you can create reports with it um, directly on your mobile device. So pretty cool, the Testo 510i. Guys, check that out at testo.com. Yellow Jacket has a pretty cool tool out. I've got one set. It's the Mantooth. It, it is a set of probes and temperature clamps, and you can buy a set that comes with an external vacuum probe or vacuum sensor, and you use it in conjunction with the Mantooth app. Okay, the, the probes are cool, like the, uh, the pressure transducer probes, because they're built up on an angle, so they're not, they're not straight, so you can get them into tighter spots, and they have a secondary port on them built in. That port you can use for evacuation or recovery or charging. Right. So, I mean, that's really handy to have is that that angle on the probe and the secondary port. And again, the temperature clamps 
Um, awesome tension on the springs and then the external vacuum gauge as well, all in conjunction with the Mantooth app. So guys that work in colder climates, if you love Big Blue, you probably know what a setup might freeze in your truck in the wintertime, but you got to know that Big Blue has an addition called Sub-Zero. The Sub-Zero addition you can keep in your truck in Sub-Zero conditions and it won't freeze up on you. So if you're looking at the supply house for some soap to buy during the wintertime, look for Big Blue Sub-Zero. Okay, because, I mean, I work in cold climates. Last year we had a cold snap. I went into my truck um, and I noticed the soap sitting on the shelf. It was kind of... You could see it bouncing around. It did not freeze. Pretty awesome. Um, the Armstrong contest to register your pumps for the $20, $20 Amazon gift card, that's still up and running. So if you guys have spotted an Armstrong pump, you can go to armstrongfluidtechnology.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all, fill out the little form, and you're eligible for your $20 Amazon gift card after the pump has been validated. So... Um, Field Pulse, I just got word that Field Pulse has a new free app. Okay, it's an estimating and invoicing app. Okay, you can download and use it anytime, and there's no fee whatsoever. Okay, so you can do estimating and invoicing 100% free. But if you find that you need other features later on, you can upgrade to Field Pulse at any time. Okay, and the name of it is called Simply Send. So it's totally free. So check it out. Simply Send, free estimating and invoicing. Okay. And if you choose to upgrade the Field Pulse, you can. Okay. And when you do, you have the 14-day free trial. And if you want to check that out, go to fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all. So in the beginning, you heard my little, um, my little ad for AC Smart Seal. Now, they have an, a new product on the market it's called AC smart shot okay it's a lubricant and it's basically a chemical that will go inside of the system and it'll start to clean it up and, and what I mean by clean it up is that you have oil deposits right that stick in the condenser or the evaporator and it causes it to be less efficient because those deposits create a um, an insulation to the transfer of heat so basically it breaks that down and it returns it back to its regular condition, turns the oil back to its regular condition and flows through the system. So you get that, that heat transfer that you once had when the, the, the unit was newer. So that is a new product. It's called AC Smart Shot. You guys can check that out at your leisure. Um, True Tech Tools, guys, as always, 8% on your purchases with promo code KNOWITALL. And if you want some Testo gear, Go to my website, hvacknowitall.com, click on the True Tech Tools logo, and sign up for preferred Testo pricing. What's up, guys? We have Mark on the phone, and uh, Mark and I are going to get into a discussion regarding some, uh, some very cool tech that I think is coming of age. And it's not really new as per se, because it involves solar energy, and solar energy has been around for a while, but... Um, Soul X Energy has developed a way to harness this energy to make HVAC units more efficient. So, Mark, I want to thank you for getting onto the podcast, and I want to welcome you. And um, I want to—I I think 
I need to know, and the guests probably want to know a little bit about yourself. And, and usually we do that with guests when they come on for the first time as we, we kind of talk about them, kind of their background in the industry and, and how they got to um, the point they're at today. So if you want to talk about your background a little bit, Mark, feel free to, uh, to, to step in there. Okay. Um, <clears throat> hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Mark Crabtree. I'm the CEO of a company called Solex Energy that began its life uh, over in the UK, as uh, as I'm sure most of you will be able to tell from my accent, the um, the business started R&D on this technology. Uh, uh, from with my involvement, uh, it also had uh, uh, American involvement, German involvement, and uh, some other European involvement. Uh, all founders of the business, all involved in the original business um, when we first started, um, and as I said, the R&D began probably eight or nine years ago now, but we didn't actually go to the market commercially until around about five years ago with the product. Now on your website, it says um, Solex Energy started in 2013. So that's roughly about five years ago. It falls in line as to what you were saying there. So you guys started in the, which, which, um, which city is uh, Solex Energy based out of in, in England? England? Uh, it's, it's in a, a place called uh, uh, Clitheroe, which is around about 30 miles north of Manchester. Uh, anybody who knows England, that's essentially dead in the centre of England uh, and from any direction. Uh, it's about halfway between uh, Scotland and London. Nice. So I have to ask you, off topic, Manchester City or Manchester United? <laughs> uh, actually, actually, neither. Uh, neither? I'm actually... Uh, <laughs> No, I'm a, I'm a Burnley fan, which is my uh, hometown. Uh, we're actually in the Premiership, and we got beat 4-0 by uh, Manchester City this season and 3-1 by Manchester United this season. Wow. So thanks thanks for reminding me about that. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I grew up a, a Manchester. I, I'm originally from Scotland, and uh, I grew up a Manchester United fan, mainly because of Alex Ferguson and what he did there. And I know... Yeah, I know. I know a lot of guys listening probably aren't soccer fans because, um, but but I am, and, and Mark is. So like, I, I don't mind touching on it for a minute. But I grew up as a Manchester United fan just be, because of Alex Ferguson. And after he left the team, the the team just uh, kind of it's never been the same. But anyway, I'm glad your team's yeah. doing well and and they're in the Premiership. And and um, so so listen, how did you um, get involved in? into um, the HVAC side of things. Did you do any engineering courses or any HVAC courses um, when you were younger to, 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 to be knowledgeable on this stuff, or was it something totally different? It, no, totally different. Um, personally, um, I didn't, I didn't uh, kind of enter my career as an engineer. Um, I have an innovative brain. Um, I'm, I'm a problem solver. Our, our, the business that we originally started in the energy sector sold several different uh, energy-saving solutions, including uh, one of the first big ones, which was the LED uh, the LED arena, which is, uh, as you know, is saturated now uh, by many different players. And back then, we, we were constantly looking for solutions for the biggest energy consumer on the planet, which is uh, refrigeration and HVAC. And we came across a couple of uh, people that had tried the solar solution. So... We invested quite heavily, as I said, around eight or nine years ago um, in, in R&D in these products. We applied for our patents. Uh, once we got the product working, 
Um, we wouldn't have got it working, but for our chief technical officer, I have to be honest with you, um, that guy knows HVAC inside out, and that's no disrespect to present company and, and anybody listening in. Um, he understood uh, exactly what we needed to do. More importantly, he understood the VRF market uh, and the inverter market because that he was a, he was part of the team that developed the first VRF systems for for Medea, uh, the big Chinese manufacturer. Yeah, v, so, v, VRFs are are becoming massive. I know they started out in Europe and and mainly because Europe doesn't have a lot of systems that are centralized with, with duct. So I think that's yeah. how that, that 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 system started kind of coming about. But you you're seeing it a lot. Uh, in North America now, and it's being utilized in many, many different applications. So, I mean, um, so how does Solex Energy, what, what does Solex Energy do? And how does it implement solar energy into um, HVAC? So the whole process started with um, us, us trialing the system on VRFs because VRFs is, as you know, it's gonna, it, it is the fastest growing um, side of the HVAC market because it's such an efficient product. Um, uh, to the point now that we're even getting involved with some uh, ducted uh, VRF systems where we're, we're utilizing a VRF um, on a ducted system, which is still delivering significant uh, efficiencies. But the So we started on the VRF market because that's the market we knew. We knew where I was going market, the up-and-coming market, and we essentially what we do, we integrate a solar thermal collector, which essentially um, is additional copper pipe work. There's, although there are evacuated tubes, the evacuated tubes just cover copper pipe work. So we we put a, a solar thermal collector following the compressor on the discharge line, and then we come back in on the condenser. Now, to most people, that kind of flies in the face of of you know the, the general thinking i.e when you leave the compressor the first thing you want to do is get rid of the heat uh, out of the refrigerant so reduce the temperature of the refrigerant whichever terminology you use um well today that's not the case because manufacturers generally work along the lines of temperature being the lead pressure is needed of course it is without pressure we don't have a system or we don't have a cooling system but the temperature is what controls it now, uh, all around the system. And therefore, we recognized that at the latter end of the compression process, the compressor was only ramping up in the main to produce thermal energy um, so that we had a, a delta T. And when I say delta T, um, I mean uh, ambient air temperature uh, differential to refrigerant coil temperature in the condenser. So what we did is we added this thermal um, system in adding sensible heat into the refrigerant and allowing the compressor to ramp down and the system's logic controls recognize that fact they recognize what we're doing at the, con the condenser point because there's sensors in uh there's two or even three sensors depending upon the manufacturer the the manufacturer that manufactures the unit and they recognize what's happening in the condenser and assume that that thermal energy is being provided by the compressor and ask the compressor to back down Subsequently, we still provide the same, if not an improved subcooling, with a much lower uh, energy consumption of the compressor, which, as we all know, is the highest consumer of energy on the whole system. Exactly. That's in real basic terms what we do.
exactly. So you and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, and and if you could go, I don't know if you remember we the the the, the way you explained it to me then, but you explained it as, um, let's say we had four compressor system, and those four compressors all pumped within the same circuit. It wasn't um, four separate circuits. It was uh, one circuit, four compressors. Now you were saying that in that circuit, for example, two compressors could probably make up the mass flow of refrigerant that is needed. We don't need all four, correct? More or less. Yeah, that's more or less correct, Gary. So after we developed the VRF side, the more advanced side of the variable refrigerant flow, um, obviously we recognize, especially in America, the rack system, which is the old way of modulating refrigerant, um, is still a very big business in, in the US. Most of the newer systems have at least one inverter compressor in them now, especially on refrigeration. But a lot of the older modulating systems that have still got a lot of years left on them. We, we started to work on how we could make those systems more efficient by utilizing the same technology. So if you take a four-stage rack system, one of the biggest um, preconceptions is that when the first compressor comes on, if you assume it's a four-stage, so therefore all four compressors are 100% mass flow, the general misconception is that if one compressor comes on, we're getting only 25% of the mass flow. When two come on, 50% of the mass flow. But that's it's actually factually incorrect. The, the vast majority of the mass flow on a modulating system flows at the early stages, i.e. compressor one and compressor two. So compressors three and four will generally only be asked to come on when we need, in the, we, we need the additional energy or, or temperature in the refrigerant to ensure that we have a credible delta T. Because as you know, without a credible delta T, we can't get a credible subcooling. So we get an unstable delta T, and as such, and when I say delta T, just to reiterate, because you and I had a conversation about my terminology on delta T, Gary, when I say delta T, I'm talking about ambient air temperature to condenser coil temperature. Yeah. And every time I talk about delta T, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, and just just to go go back and clarify to everybody else in, in North America, when everybody talks about delta T, um, they're talking about air across a coil, so basically air in, air out, or refrigerant in, refrigerant out. Um, we call what you're saying delta T. We call it here um, temperature difference. So basically, the refrigerant temperature compared to the air temperature. So let's say we have return air. Um, and the refrigerant temperature, that, that would be our temperature difference. Um, so I just yeah. wanted to clarify that everybody, when, when Mark is talking about delta T, he's speaking about what we would refer to as temperature difference. Um, yeah. Now, going back to that conversation we had, um, it was really interesting, and I was thinking about it a, a lot over the last couple of weeks. So the majority of the mass flow comes from the first two compressors, and if we have a four compressor system, we can take out those last two compressors when we're at a high demand by adding in the thermal energy um, that those two compressors are going to create and taking solar thermal energy and replacing it with that. Is that, is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, it's slightly different to that, but that is essentially it. The other consideration there is when you have compressors running to produce thermal energy, which is the majority of their workload, the latter compressor's workload, is in the main to produce the additional temperature in the refrigerant. 
So at that point, you're producing that additional temperature in the refrigerant to ensure you, you have the temperature differential on the coil that you're utilizing all that energy for just temperature. But the other important thing is that is then latent heat, i.e. pressurized heat. So you have pressurized heat going into the condenser, which is much more difficult for the condenser to remove. So not only are we not having four compressors running, we may only have two, we may have three. But either way, we've got rid of one compressor or two compressors, and in some cases, three compressors. And we're producing that uh, thermal energy that they would normally produce, but that now is sensible heat, which again assists the condensing process because it's easier for the condenser to rid itself of those, to rid the refrigerant of that heat. Okay, so so we have our mass flow without the, the, the second and third compressor, or sorry, the third and fourth compressor, for example. So now when we're in the condenser, we're trying to get rid of as much heat as possible. Now, I think I understand what this whole um, technology is doing. I think that it's similar to adding a subcooler into a refrigeration system. Because when you add a subcooler, you further reduce um, you further reduce the temperature of the liquid going to the uh, the metering device, and then when you when you flash into the evaporator, you actually are decreasing the flash gas. So when you decrease the flash gas, you're actually increasing the the net refrigeration effect of the evaporator because now with less less flash gas, you have the ability to absorb more heat from the evaporator. Does that does that sound kind of in line with with what you guys are doing? Absolutely. That's exactly what's happening. Okay, so that's, all, that's awesome. <laughs> I've been, rack, I've been yeah. wrapping my brain around this for about a month now, trying to figure out what you guys are doing. So essentially, the technology is getting rid of a compressor or two or taking a modulating system and reducing um, the modulation back to 75%, 60 50 whatever, um, rejecting more heat subcooling the liquid further and reducing the flash gas which increases the net refrigeration effect of the evaporator that that is that is awesome and you're and you're getting rid of how much extra energy by doing this well we when we have good sun you know and, and again you got to remember the baseline is the baseline whether it's in canada or whether it's in florida yeah the baseline is the baseline so the more sun we have the more load generally you have on the building so essentially, but from our perspective, when we have plenty of clear blue sunshine, uh, clear blue sky sunshine onto the panel, we can have efficiencies on the system as high as 60, 70% in that period. Mm -hmm. Over an average year, um, we generally quote numbers between, we've never dropped below 25. In fact, I think our lowest performing system is a refrigeration system in the UK. And that system, uh, over, it's been installed for near on three years now, and it's averaged around about a 27% differential in energy consumption. And it's paid for itself already, I should add. It's 52 solar collectors on that unit. It's a one, it's a one megawatt system. But we'll generally quote figures in between 25 and 35% over an average year is what you'd expect to see. Cool. So, I mean, that, that, that was one of the other questions I was going to ask you, like the, the average payback time we're looking at if you if you if you implement this technology what would the average payback time be on that well that again is, is all down to a number of parameters yeah. the more sun we have the more efficiencies we achieve because obviously you have a higher baseline of course but you have a higher um, reduction in, in uh, energy consumption mm -hmm. but additionally is um, electricity price 
if we just take the United States as an example, in Florida, they have some of the, the lowest electricity prices in the country. Where, and we're, we're achieving uh, ROIs of between three and four years, maybe sometimes a little over four years, depending on the system. In California, we can get down to below two years because the, the energy prices in, in certain parts is nearly three times that of Florida. Yeah. And they've got the same level of sun. So it all depends on where you are. But additionally, I don't want to put put off the, the cooler climate areas because this system works in heating and cooling mode. And a sweet spot is commercial. Although we do a lot of residential, especially on the sun belt of uh, the U.S., um, sweet spot is commercial because commercial utilize all, most of the energy on heating and cooling uh, through the daytime, which is when we have the sun. And mm-hmm. um, if you think that if you think that we're getting ROIs on average in the UK below four years, and the UK gets an average of 4.1 hours of sunshine a day, where you live, Gary, the average sunshine over a whole year uh, a day on average is 6.2, and a certain part and the lowest in America is only six hours. It's still six hours, so you, we're way above the UK on sun hours, but in certain parts slightly lower on electricity price. So it's, yeah. it's different parameters. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't even think about the cost of of energy when I was thinking about the the, the payback time. So, um, so another thing I wanted to ask you: Let's say we take a twenty ton VRF unit, condenser unit that's sitting on a roof, and if we we utilize this technology, how much space, extra space, would we need to implement the the solar technology? Like, would it does it go beside it, in it? Um, around it like how does it work as the install process so the, the on a 20 ton system depending on which system it is you need between three and four uh solar collectors on that unit um on on that 20 ton unit you would uh on between let me just say sorry i'll start that again so between three and four solar collectors each solar collector takes up around about 25 square feet of space in total so they're, they're, they're about five by five. So okay. five feet high by five feet. And if they're led, that's if they're led flat, of course. Okay. Now, the solar collectors are very versatile. They can go from, from horizontal to vertical. As long as they can see the sun, then they'll pick up the heat because they're circular tubes. They're not like solar PV panels where they have to be on a certain angle to be optimum. Okay. And and do they can they kind of sit? Do they have to be in close proximity to the unit, or can they be far away depending on uh, the, the space provided uh, during the install? No, on a on a VRF system, um, I, I don't know. I, you may know, but on a VRF system, the VRF can push refrigerant for a kilometer. So obviously, we're not going to be that far away. The nearer the system, the more efficient because you get less loss. Okay. So they can go up to they can go up to 50 meters away. Um, so 150, 160 feet if absolutely needed, but ideally you want them within, you know, three or four feet if it's possible. Okay. So we're essentially taking the discharge line from the machine going through the solar collectors and then back through the condenser, right? Correct. So if it was the 20 ton system you just made reference to, as we exit the, uh, um, the discharge line, at that point we'll split the discharge line equally. Um, and the, the refrigerant will run um, through four collectors in parallel, and then it will come back in, and it will split back into the same size discharge line. So we'll just split the refrigerant through the 
through the solar collectors. Okay, and now the next question, and I know a lot of people are probably thinking this in their head, what, if, if we keep to that 20-ton example, what sort of installation costs are we looking at to do something like that? Um, if we bear in mind, if it's a cooling-only system, there are no working parts. If it's a cooling and heating system, we have a separate unit called an SBD unit, which essentially measures the temperature in the panel and measures the discharge temperature from the compressor. That's it's a simple logic control that has no influence over the system's logic control. It works completely independently. What it does, it checks if there is available heat when the system's in heating mode in the panel, and if there isn't, it will bypass the panel. But if you were fitting a heating and cooling system, from a from a cost perspective, obviously that can vary everywhere, so it's better for me to give you time-wise. It would okay. normally take uh, one engineer and his and his help, so two guys, uh, around about one day per one and a half panels. That's generally the figure we use. Okay. So you're looking at around about a three day, three to four day install for a four panel installation. Four days, absolute maximum. Okay. All right. Well, that that doesn't seem too bad. I mean, especially if you're going to be saving <laughs> that much energy over time and and getting this paid back with within the the, the five year period. I, and I mean, when I went to school and we talked about energy savings, they always used the five year rule of thumb that if you can pay it back in five years, then you're doing something mm-hmm. good. So if you can do it in less time, then 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 even better. Um, I was on your website and I noticed that one of the things, um, a little. Uh, pieces of literature said that you've installed in six out of seven continents, which is, which is pretty cool. And then there's a bunch of little underneath that, there's a bunch of little logos like Budweiser, Texaco, Ministry of Defense, Toyota. Is that some of the the companies that you've done installs for? Is that, is that what that is? It is absolutely. And, and since we haven't updated the website for a while, we also now have uh, DHL. We've installed for, we have installed for Whole Foods, um, what else have we got from the U.S. perspective? Hard, you got Hard Rock um, Hotel and Casino on there. Yeah, Hard Rock, Hard Rock Hotels. That was in the Dominican Republic. Um, we just, um, we, the Caribbean is quite a big growing market, but there's no real big names there. But we just, uh, we just agreed. Actually, only this morning, the second largest supermarket in Australia, which is Coles, we've in, we've agreed our first install with them this morning, and we already have an install planned in with um, Woolworths. Which, sorry, the uh, motor bike just passed our hands. And carried out the <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so um, we already have an installation. We uh, sorry, planned in with Woolworths, which is Australia's largest supermarket group. So we are getting in with some pretty big Fortune 500 companies. I can tell you, I can't tell you the name, but we we recently installed um, on a uh, a US Fortune 500 small box retailer. Um, the first install was down in Florida. They, they are, they've confirmed that they'll be giving us additional stores. At that point, we can release the name. But it's a well-known brand uh, across North America. Um, we installed for them in June of this year. So June until now, the, the whole facility's electricity consumption is presently tracking at a 54% reduction in energy consumption. Wow. Um, and we will be getting quite a few more stores from that particular facility as our second phase rollout. So I, uh, what interests me is that the the business, um, I, I know the R&D started well before the 2013 mark, but the business started in 2013 and you're doing some major 
major stuff here. So you guys must have a, uh, a pretty good sales and marketing team uh, to get the word out there and, and to really um, go after some of these customers and then to get them to install the stuff and see the, uh, the results. So the first customer, like how do you, how do you go about explaining, Hey, I can do this for you. I'm going to save you energy. And, and how do you get them to kind of, to, to, to go along with you and, and invest into what you're doing? Well, I'm not going to tell you it was easy, Gary. <laughs> let me tell you that much. It, yeah. it, it's been a hard road, and to be fair, still is. I mean, it, it sounds very grand that we have, we're in six out of seven continents, and we're in 47 different countries, and we've been installed with all these Fortune 500 companies. That's all true. But realistically, in comparison to the likes of Train, Diking, Carrier, we're a pimple on an elephant's ass, for want of a better term of phrase. Yeah. We really are. So we've, we've had to invest quite heavily. So we've invested, we'll go to, for example, we went to Cummings, which was one of our first big corporates that we brought on board. Um, that was in the UK. And we, we just told him, look, we're going to the system on a free on loan basis. If he doesn't do what we say he'll do, we'll, we'll take it out and uh, we'll, we'll, um, we'll walk away, shake hands and, and say thank you. If it does what it says, then you pay us and we look at some additional systems. And that's exactly what we did. Additionally, another another element or another route that we took was to bring on what we call master dealers in in, in other countries. It's been positive and negative uh, because we don't make a lot of margin from doing so, but it's been very positive. I'll give you South, Af- South Africa as a prime example. South Africa is one of our oldest dealers. We allowed him to have exclusivity for the for the country on the basis that he paid personally or his business did for the sales and marketing. Uh, to get that business moving in that territory, um, and he has done. I mean, we now have over a megawatt of uh, solar-supported cooling on the Mercedes-Benz plant down there. Uh, he recently, um, at the back end of last year, did the Toyota plant down there. Um, so he brought some big names in on the back of um, we gave him exclusivity. So what we gave away, we've gained back in, in kudos from the names that he brought to the table, and that's similar to some of our other master dealers, DHL, as I mentioned earlier, was brought in by our Australian dealer. So we're not, I can't say that we as a business are totally responsible for that. Our dealers that have um, paid for a lot of the marketing and getting the product out there in their respective countries are also responsible for some of those big brand names. Um, yeah, I could see it being a really hard road to, to get new technology and, and, and what you did is what I would do. Say, hey, let's we'll put this in for free, and and if it works, then you pay us. If it doesn't, then we'll walk away. I, that's how you got to start. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I don't see any other way of yeah. doing it if people are skeptical. So, um, good on you guys for for doing that. Um, so, but for for systems that are already out there, and for the techs listening, and maybe business owners or, or installers or, or whoever you can implement this stuff, stuff in, into a retrofit, right? So let's say they have a Mitsubishi or a Daikin or, or whatever VRF system they're using. You can implement this stuff in afterwards to, to get that savings as well? Absolutely. In fact, 80% of our business today that we do, I think it's 82% actually of, our, of the business that we do is retrofit business. Is retrofitting onto other people's products. You know, we, we couldn't, that that's the that's the main core of our business, and I should add, you know, when we're not a, I, I compared this to some HVAC companies earlier, but 
we're not a HVAC company. We don't want to sell air conditioning. We have to sell air conditioning because we're in that we're in that kind of uh, market. But realistically, we're an energy efficiency company. What we really want to do is just sell our product to other people that install our product onto products that need to be made more efficient. That's our model going forward. Yeah. So the fact that the this stuff can be retrofitted onto existing equipment is massive. Um, and guys listening, if you guys are interested, is there your website is solexenergy.com, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's S. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, if you when you land on the page, there's an American page for contact here in America, um, and various other countries around the world. Yeah. Awesome. And and Solex, I was just going to say because it's not. I mean, somebody might spell it differently than the way it's written. It's S O L X Energy. So energy spelled uh, the same. S O L X Energy dot com. So if you guys are looking for more information, you guys can check that out because this is uh, this is the way of the future, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but there are some misconceptions that um, some of the listeners might have right now, and some obviously you have these misconceptions written in a document because this has been obviously something you've had to tackle in the past. So if we can quickly tackle those, that that would be awesome. Is that okay with doing that, Mark? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Okay, so I I will list them as you have have them listed on the document um, you sent me via email. So misconception number one: heat equals pressure. Yeah, so a lot of the reason that's in there is because a lot of people um, have a lot of people trained in the HVAC and refrigeration industry through no fault of their own. It's just the way that the teaching is: is when you raise heat, you're going to get an increase in pressure, but that's not the case. And we don't we don't add any pressure into the into the uh, system. So whatever pressure leaves the compressor is the pressure that will enter the condenser. The only thing we add is thermal energy. And we can show you graphs. It's showing exactly that. The discharge temperature, the discharge pressure, the, the temperature entering the condenser, and the pressure entering the condenser. Now, if you're talking about a fixed speed system of old, where you just have one fixed speed system, then, of course, pressure equals temperature. It runs at one speed, at one pressure, one temperature, con- almost constantly, bar some small fluctuations depending upon um, suction and discharge. But realistically, it runs at almost 500 miles an hour and goes off at 500 miles an hour, and there's no differential. But today, in modulating systems, it's all about measuring temperature because pressure is less relevant. The only reason pressure is measured on any VRF system now is to protect the system. Pressure has no influence whatsoever over the logic controls of a VRF system. It's all about temperature sensors. Yeah, because that yeah. is the best way to measure uh, to to achieve efficiency. So yeah, I was going to say even when I troubleshoot, I rarely look at the actual pressure. Um, I look at pressures for for safety reasons. Like, hey, if if I'm like 400 psi in an R22 system and it should only be like down at 250, then yeah, there, there's something going on. But when I do my main troubleshooting, I'm looking at evaporator pressure and I'm looking at uh, condenser, uh, sorry, evaporator temperature and condenser temperature, because it tells me a, a whole lot more and how the system's operating than the actual pressure itself. So it does make a lot of sense um, that the VRF industry is is doing that as well. Um, yeah. 
Okay, so misconception number two, and I'm just reading them as as it's stated in the uh, in the document. On a modulating system, each compressor capacity corresponds to an equal propulsion of mass flow. And I think we already touched on this, but if you want to go on touch on it quickly again. Yeah. Okay. So I, as I as I alluded to earlier, a lot of people think that if you have a four stage system, four stages running is 100% mass flow, that much is correct. But the misconception is that when you only have one stage running, you're only getting 25% of mass flow, which is incorrect. At the early stages of the compression system, the, mo the majority of the mass flow flows. The, the latter compressors are more about thermal energy than mass flow. In general terms, on most systems, you don't need any additional mass flow by the time you get to compressors three and four on a four-stage system or compressors five and six on a six-stage system. It's all about needing those additional compressors to meet delta T. And that's the misconception because they, um, they assume that one compressor on a four-stage is 25% and that's it. There's no differential. And, and, and once I, you get I, past that, you <laughs> understand it. I can I can raise my hand that I was one of those people that thought that as well. Um, yeah. Until until I spoke to you, I thought a four stage system. Yeah, each each stage is twenty five percent of the flow that we need to get through that system. But little did I know. So this is this is why I have conversations with with people and, and experts like yourself because I learn tons of stuff from you guys. Um, so let me just. Let me give you one other example yeah. of that, Gary. Yeah, for sure. Um, another, example, another example of that is any, any inverter manufacturer will tell you that when the, the absolute optimum performance of an inverter compressor is when it's, when it's running at 75% of its capacity. And the reason for that is because when it's at 75% of its capacity, it's producing essentially 100% of the mass flow. So it's running at its absolute optimum performance. So if, if we can stop that system ramping up to give that additional uh, temperature, to raise that temperature while still providing the mass flow, it's an obvious energy saving and proven okay. energy saving. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, there you go. Sure. This technology blows me away. <laughs> it really does. So mis mis misconception number three. Um, solar solar thermal adds heat to the refrigerant, which in turn the condenser is required to remove. Yeah, the, the, the way that we've turned that, I don't think great. It probably needs re-looking at. I suppose the point we're trying to make here is that when when people say you're adding a solar collector after the compressor and before the condenser, you're adding heat into the refrigerant that the condenser has then got to remove, and the condenser is only sized for the compressor, or, or in general, their size around about 10% larger than the capacity of the system to ensure that they can cover for those anomalies. anomalies. Mm -hmm. So essentially, we're not adding at that point. If you've got a compressor running at full speed, the velocity of the refrigerant running through the solar collector means that you're not going to pick up any additional heat. Our, our whole aim is to ensure that the compressor never runs at full capacity or the compressors never run at full capacity. And as such, we're adding that additional thermal energy as it enters the compressor, uh, sorry, the solar collector. And the compressor stays down at 60, 70, 50% of its capacity. So in other words, we don't add heat over and above the design uh, parameters of the system. 
we just replace the thermal energy or heat that's generated by the compressor that the compressor would normally be asked to generate in the first place. Mm -hmm. So there's no additional heat, so you're not above the design parameters of the condenser. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of inf <laughs> it's a lot of information to take in. Like I said, it took me almost like a a month to figure out how how the technology uh, how for myself to wrap my head around the technology. Um, misconception number four: solar thermal HVAC works, but it's only viable in high temperatures. Yeah. So um, if you go to any of the HVAC manufacturers, and the reason this question came out was. Um, a particular HVAC, large HVAC manufacturer, VRF manufacturer, um, had an expert internally who said, yeah, we believe your technology works 100%, um, however, and we believe it would be really good for us in the places like Dubai and the Middle East and parts of South America where we, we struggle um, to move away from uh, poor subcooling because of the outside ambient temperature. But and and in the old... In the old um, way of refrigeration, when you had a fixed-speed compressor, we would obviously add capacity onto that system and allow and, and move away from that process of having a larger amount of flash gas. But everybody forgets that we have an inverter technology world now. So the inverter technology world or the modulating world, it doesn't matter what's happening. We allow the compressor to ramp down. So it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, 20... 20 I'm trying to talk uh, Fahrenheit here. It doesn't matter whether it's 75 degrees outside or 95 degrees outside. The compressor will run at whatever it's asked to do normally to provide those uh, cooling parameters. If we can ramp it down by utilizing the sun, then it's exactly what we do. So it works in any temperatures, not just hot temperatures, any temperatures at all. I mean, we have installed in Poland uh, and various other areas of, of Northern Europe, which get just as cold. As uh, as Canada does, for example, or north north of North America, and they work uh, very well during the summer, and they provide a good heat source in the winter. So I guess this last misconception kind of will um, I don't know. It kind of relates to to what you were saying there. Um, a solar thermal array um, cannot produce efficiencies on a cooling system during the hours of darkness. Yep. And uh, that was one of the best side efficiencies that anybody could ever discover that we didn't expect to discover. So we never expected or never calculated um, that we would achieve that particular saving. Obviously, this is a solar crater. It relies on the sun. It relies on the sun. If there's no sun, it, it can't produce any additional energy. But what happens at nighttime on a cooling system, if you allow the refrigerant to flow through, which we always do if it's a cooling-only system, or it's, in, or it's in cooling mode, is essentially the solar collectors just become an expansion of the condenser now. So now they become a, essentially a, a radiator for uh, where they dissipate um, a small level of heat, which helps the condensing side rather than the compressor side. So we get an, we actually get an increase in efficiency 24 hours a day. Obviously, at nighttime, it's not as large. It's a much smaller figure, but we do see double-digit savings at nighttime, but offer a much smaller baseline because obviously the, the heat load's not as high, so the, the system's not having to work as hard. Yeah. If, if you understand what I'm saying, you're just extending the size of the condenser. Yeah, yeah I totally understand, and I was going to mention that in most applications, the heat load will drop off 
um, at nighttime unless it's for like a, a server room or or like a, a rack system for uh, a grocery store or something like that where the, the load is always constant. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I think that, um, I think we've gone through everything here. I, I mean, we, we've touched base on, on how Solex Energy kind of uh, began and what it's doing, um, the technology and how it works, um, the misconceptions, where you guys have installed. We've talked about payback and, 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 and I don't think there's anything else we, we can throw in here right, right now in this, in this podcast. So um, I got to thank you, Mark, for, for getting on here because you taught me a lot and the people that are listening to this one, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be well taught after this podcast as well. So I, I got to thank you for getting on here. Well, same applies, Gary, and, and, and believe you me, I very much appreciate you giving us the opportunity to um, to talk on here. I've enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah, oh yeah, we we, we definitely will. So um, you're you're Eastern Standard Time yourself, right, because you're in Florida, so we're about quarter after nine. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I got my Still kids time to bed. Still time for Oh yeah, time. Yeah, you know what? That's, that's that's a good idea. Maybe I'll crack a Stella and 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 kick back and enjoy. Um, so if, yeah. So if if you want to hold off um, for a couple of seconds, we'll we'll say bye to everybody and um, and then you and I can just have like a, a little chat and then uh, and go from there. But guys, thank you for getting onto the podcast today and listening to uh, Mark talk about this technology. And please go check out solexenergy.com and then uh, if you guys are interested um, if they're interested if somebody is interested in a job I should I should touch on this quickly how do they get a hold of you to move forward so um, there's a contact us on the web page uh, specifically for the American market so if you just fill your details in there our guys will call you back the same day no problem awesome okay it's time to end it. okay guys you guys have a good night and thank you Mark for getting onto the podcast Thank you. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And um, you can tell this stuff is going to be massive in the future because, like I said in the intro, everybody's looking to save money on energy. And if we can show customers that there's going to be a five-year payback or less, that's massive. It really, really is. So, Guys, again, if you want to reach out to Solex Energy, it's solexenergy.com. That's S-O-L-X energy.com. You can check them out and see what they're all about. And then if you're interested, get in touch and move forward. All right. The snow has fallen, guys, right now. Um, Damn, I got to get onto a roof now. And there's probably about two or three inches of snow and it's starting to melt a little bit because it's just over freezing and it's slushy. So wish me luck guys, but like always happy HVACing.